AJ, he's back, and like him, the Swans are back on the winners list. Three rounds to go, three wins. That's the equation. You are listening to the Swans Blogs of Swanscast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. In this week's episode, we will review the Swans' last gasp victory against Collingwood at the SCG on Saturday night. We'll give you our Sunday champion and villains, discuss a selection of players, and review the Swans' unbelievable two-point win. I'm Justin Mitchell, and with me is Swanscast regular Heather. Heather, you were at the game on Saturday. You told me that you actually booked this in advance. Uh, how far in advance did you book the game? Oh, look, really, four or five five weeks ago when we were going pretty well, and I have to say I was beginning to regret my decision for, <laughs> for making that booking, given that it involved an airfare and a hotel, because um, obviously we, we haven't been going too well in, in recent weeks. So um, it was uh, a very, very timely return to form um, by the Swans, because I certainly felt, felt like that I got a bit of a double whammy of joyousness, really, what with... Um, the Alex Johnson comeback, um, and of course seeing uh, the Swans beat the dreaded Pies. Yes, now last year, I suppose you might remember this, I know quite a few of the Swans fans do remember this, and I remember this vividly, Collingwood actually did a sim by one point at the SCG. Uh, it was horrible. That was one. That was the really the, one of the low points of our zero six uh, start to the last season. Um, I remember on that game. I after that game, I was so distraught um, that I think I sat up for about an hour after the game had finished with the lights off and the television off, just staring out the window, pondering. Yep. The horrificness of the world that I was living in, because it was, I couldn't conceive of having gone down to Collingwood in that fashion. So yeah, that was um, it was sort of a nice turnaround from that perspective. Yeah, you're not wrong. You certainly weren't the only one. I do remember that game uh, from my own perspective of the umpiring interpretation of holding the ball or uh, prior opportunity was changed literally overnight. And the first quarter was some of the scrappiest football I've ever seen from Sydney, where they just dropped the ball as soon as they were touched. Mostly because the weekend before, they were being pinged as soon as they got tackled with the ball. So AFL did the midweek memo, and they changed the rules. But uh, looks like every week they're changing something, Heather. Yeah, I think. Look, I think there is that tendency to do it. And look, they're not the only code that have been accused of doing that. I know that there's some frustration. Well, everyone knows that there's some frustration in the uh, NRL as well for the, um, <clears throat> with the in interpretation of the refereeing in that sport um, and the fact that it's allegedly sort of changing the interpretations from week to week. So I think it's certainly something that's coming under the microscope just because um, as the football codes become more and more professional and more and more money is spent um, it then you know is beholden I suppose on the officiators of the game to be able to umpire it and referee it to this to the same extent yes you know and it doesn't it's not it's not always happening like that um, so I sometimes get the feeling that the umpires in our game are just sort of half a step behind and I, I do have some sympathies for them because you know umpires aren't well loved anyway, oh, no, um, and then you know, then they, uh, yeah, and then they, and then they get caned for not sort of keeping up necessarily with the pace of change within the actual sport. But then, of course, it's not as well funded as other parts of the sport. So, yeah, I do have some sympathies for them, to be frank. Yeah, well, last time I heard about how much I'm willing to pay umpires, they're only willing them willing to pay them about one hundred twenty, hundred thirty thousand dollars a year for the top top level 
best sort of 3% field umpires. And when you think about it, 120 and 130 really isn't that much in, in these days. There's going to be a lot of people, listeners as well, who would earn under that. But when you look at accommodation, travel, things like that, 120, 130 gets eaten up pretty quickly in today's economy. Oh, it's pretty ordinary. And when you consider the level of scrutiny they're under and, um, you know, the amount of pressure and stress that, that they're under, I, th- I think they're ridiculously underpaid and under-resourced. Yeah. And, you know, if you can, it, I would be hoping that the, the AFL has been actually been taking notice of some of the stuff that's been going on in the NRL in relation to the umpires um, <clears throat> and taking that on board because, you know, only this week an NRL referee... Uh, just resigned because he didn't want to put up with it anymore. Yeah. He just couldn't take it anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would hope that they're learning some lessons from that and perhaps looking at, at sort of resourcing it, um, that part of the f- our great game, um, sort of more adequately because um, a bit, little bit more on, on umpiring and some umpiring decisions yes, later in yes, the show, Justin, to just to drop a, drop a hint about it. About a, about a particular decision, but yeah, that's, I, I'm sure that that's something that I'm sure that that's something that our friends at the AFL are thinking about closely, oh, especially uh, with what happened also on um, on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. So, yeah, more to come about that. Now, obviously, top of the agenda, Swan Alex Johnson, fan favourite, club favourite. He's finally made his long-awaited return to AFL. You could almost call it an AFL debut. That's how long it has been. Now, St. Kilda player uh, Freeman, I can't remember his first name, he finally made his... Nathan. What's that, sorry? Nathan, Nathan. Freeman, that's right. That's he finally made his debut after five years, and he was uh, drafted back in 2012-2013 when Alex Johnson first injured himself. So he's had five ACL reconstructions, 12 surgeries, almost six years between <clears throat> games, and he's finally come back. It is an amazing journey. And to cap it all off, he had a pretty good game. He actually looked like he wasn't sort of out of AFL level of depth or anything. He looked like he'd been around for a bit. So, uh, Yeah, I, I was, uh, well, I think there was a lot of sort of anticipation and, and just joy from uh, spectators from just in seeing him run out. And, of course, everyone had everything crossed, every digit crossed, uh, that he would get through the game unscathed. But I think that... Most people would have been pleasantly surprised uh, at his ability, really, to um, to match it at the top level. When you consider that he is heavily underdone in terms of um, match practice, uh, and he has had such uh, an incredible sort of story um, in relation to his injuries, you know, behind him. So to see him actually come out, I mean, I, I did see a, a bit of a, an interview he did with Channel Seven where he said that for the first few minutes he was running around like a headless <laughs> yeah. chicken. Um, <laughs> and we did see a couple of clangers. I think it's fair to say we did see those, but. Uh, in general, I totally agree with you, Justin. I, I think that he he matched it in the AFL. And when you consider, they put him on Mason Cox. Now he's giving away what four inches, oh, probably. More, on, more, you know, more than that, maybe yeah. more. Uh, yeah, on Mason Cox, and really, he more than held his own, and he made some good contributions. And really, when you look at that sort of game, and you think, geez, what could he do with another sort of, you know? half a dozen more matches under his belt, I reckon he will definitely be... If he can maintain his, his health and his fitness, he will be a fixture oh, yeah. in the Swans team next season. I think that's just a testament yeah. to his um, his will and his character and his ability to just get all the way back 
to top level football and not only that not look like a charity case but actually be a really solid contributor I'm not quite sure we're going to see that blistering pace that he had earlier in his career. But one thing he did change was his, um, I guess, his physique, because he actually looks quite a lot more solid and a lot more, lot more muscular than he did six years ago. So that's what six years in a gym will do for you, of course. So, Yeah, uh, 100%. And I do note that John Longmire made the point of saying um, at the press conference that he gave earlier this week that, you know... <laughs> That AJ had um, received selection, you know, through merit. You know, he 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 had knocked on the door and he was chosen um, because he deserved to be chosen. Um, I would note that probably the absence of Grundy uh, helped him, yeah. you know, get yeah. a leg up back into the team. Um, but I, th- I think it was important. I think John Longmire and the coaches knew that. If he was going, to, if AJ was going to be selected, he had to be selected in order to make an actual contribution to the team. It couldn't be some sort of, you know, charity selection because everyone, you know, thought, you know, felt sorry for him. He, if he was going to make it, it had to be on on absolute yeah, merit, and he certainly um, achieved certainly achieved yeah, that. Yeah, he certainly did. And as the game wore on, he he did look a bit more fatigued later on in the game. I think they made the change of uh, a Lear onto Cox in the last quarter and Cox just got the better of a Lear on one lead when the change was actually made. But uh, fortunately, he um, he had two shots and he missed both of them in the last quarter. So that was pretty critical for the Swans for him to actually miss those shots. But all in all, Cox really didn't have much of an impact and I think that has to go down to both Lear and Johnson doing a really good job on him. But so uh, look, let's now move on to Sunday mm. champions and villains. Now, speaking of Alex Johnson, I believe you might have a uh, Sunday champion everyone's aware of. Oh, well, I couldn't really go past Alex Johnson <laughs> yeah. as the Sunday champion because, I mean, let, let's face it, if you are a Swan supporter, you were on board with this story. How could you not be on board with this young man who has shown really powers of perseverance and dedication and uh, resilience in the face of really incredible adversity and very, very um, poor luck too because, as you might recall, at one point, because he developed an infection as a result of having one of these um, uh, operations, uh, it wasn't a case of whether Alex Johnson could come back to football. It was a question of whether he could play any yeah. kind of sport again because his actual health, his actual physical health was in serious jeopardy and he was rushed off to hospital to be treated at one point. You know, to, to, to come back after five, five, that's five people, um, anterior cruciate ligament reconstructions um, is incredibly remarkable and look, um, totally sort of unrelated here, but I've got a daughter who plays netball and she did her yeah. ACL and she had uh, a knee reconstruction last year and it's serious business. It is, you know, it's it's the whole thing, including the rehab, just for an average person is full on. So this, this man has done it five times and has come back and has been able to to compete at the best level again. I mean, it's no wonder that he received um, a hug from just a, from every single player on the field, just about, and why people 
you know, who didn't know him were in tears because it's a truly remarkable story in sport. And um, you know, all all power to to AJ. He's my champion because you know what? If you're having a really bad day or you feel like you've, you know, haven't done your best in your local fun run, I mean, just stop <laughs> yeah. and think about what that exactly, young fellow's yeah. been through. Hundred <laughs> percent agree. And look, Daniel Mantle came mm. back. I think. Uh, bit over two years ago now um and he came back from four acl reconstructions as well so uh, there was an interview back then when daniel menzel came back and he even spoke about alex johnson and the impact that he had had and alex johnson late last year earlier this year also spoke about the role daniel menzel had had and his comeback to afl and how it was still serving as inspiration for him and gave him belief that he could also come back and still play and um, last year when he made his uh, Neafil return, half the senior squad after they played in Melbourne came up just to watch him and they must have done the turnaround that night and were up there at like 11.30 next morning. So he's got... Yeah, I, I recall that. I recall that. And I think it's because he has just that kind of personality yeah. where he he has been a very positive influence on the club because he's maintained that determination and that enthusiasm for getting back. I mean, my understanding with AJ is that he was advised by many people just to give up. He was told, you know, this is bad for you, this is wrong, you shouldn't be doing it, why are you doing it? He was questioned by many, many people, but in his own mind, there was never any doubt. And and that takes remarkable strength of character um, to really carry through with that. And of it, quite obviously... He has the respect of every single person in the Sydney yeah, Swans yeah. club. And you could say even um, last year or, or the year before when he was voted the clubman of the year. So, look, he's definitely got the respect of everyone in the club. Um, now on to someone at the opposite end of the spectrum. So, Heather, for my Sunday champion, I have the uh, the youngest player in the league who kicked the match-winning goal. Basically a place kick on the ground, Tom McCartan. How did he do that? I have that? no idea. Tell me, Justin, how did he do <laughs> it's, it? It's about as random as the Luke Parker out of mid-air goal. It's just as fluky. He just got slung in the tackle and somehow just got his boot on the ball and it just trickled through. It's It was an unbelievable way to, to win. I'd like to think that that was something... That, I'd like to think he's practised that yeah. at some point. <laughs> you know, you know so. He's probably thinking, how, what sort of random way is it possible to kick a match-winning goal? And he's just practised that. <laughs> Yeah, it it was an unbelievable way to win a match. Uh, it kind of uh, reminded me a little bit last year about the Adelaide win, when the Swans came from nine points down and kicked two goals in quick succession through Reed and uh, Papley, or any of the Rowan goals last year as well. It was just completely random, unexpected, and the ball just trickled out, and I was just watching it wide-eyed, just going, please roll, please roll, please roll. And it rolled. Oh, yeah. I think... Yeah, and look, I, I, that's a fantastic choice as champion. Can I just say that he could well be the only champion you've ever chosen, Justin, who's only had 25 fantasy points? Yep, yep. <laughs> because let, let's fa let's face it, Tommy Tommy McCartan did diddly he squat in last night's game. He, 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 he almost took a fantastic mark and unfortunately just dropped it at the end. Um but uh, look, yeah, he, he had an ordinary match, and um, but he was he was great in that big moment. Well, 
My next comment's going to lead into your Sunday villain, but on the Channel Seven telecast for the uh, for the Adelaide game, actually, it's funny you say that. They were saying that because Josh Jenkins he was having a bit of a uh, foul match himself, and the I think it was. Um, uh, I can't remember Rewalt or someone like that said all he, all he needs is one goal and he's you know done the right thing he's got himself into the match and as it was he kicked the winning the winning goal with not much time left and he really had no impact on the match up until that point just like McCartan and I think the thing about McCartan is he tries really hard and he does some really good things but the funniest thing was after the match he came out and he said he thought that was his only kick of the game and it was a great kick to get so, oh, he was so true. <laughs> so true. Now, Heather, your Sunday villain. I think I might have touched on that one already, but could you please elaborate? Yeah, that that was actually an excellent segue uh, of yours, Justin. There, because yeah, my my villain for today is the AFL review system. In that, <clears throat> Josh Jenkins' goal, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners saw it but if you've got Fox you might have caught it because it was the showdown and the showdown often brings you know a top match it did yesterday very very exciting but look Josh Jenkins kicked a goal a curler and it did, did appear to deviate off the post when it went past but it was called a goal and they reviewed it and it was still called a goal and when Josh Jenkins was interviewed after the match, he said he thought it was a poster. Yep. So, so it, it certainly has been um, that actual result was uh, quite controversial. Our Ken Hinckley, yeah, the coach yeah. of Port Power, had a bit to say about it, in and understandably too, because um, you know at this time of year, results like that can can have a huge bearing on where your team finishes on the on the ladder. And I just think that the AFL review system has got a bit of a problem here at the moment because they've invested a fair amount of funds, and we're talking tens of millions of dollars here in technology to try and get it right. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure they got it right this time because I looked at a few replays and the ball did seem to deviate. But a few people said, oh, look, you know, um, the, you couldn't really change the umpire's call. There wasn't enough evidence, yada, yada. Well... You know, I'm I'm with the camp. Maybe it's time, and Steve Hocking, if you're listening, take note. Maybe it's time if we're going to make a rule change. Then, like every other sport <clears throat> of its kind in the world, if the ball goes through the posts, it's a goal, and if it goes the other side of the post, and it's a point. Yeah. In other words, there's no such thing anymore as hitting the post and having having these calls that these adjudications that need to be made where they keep getting them wrong. Let's just say if the ball goes between the two big posts, it's a goal and it doesn't matter whether it touches. Yeah, yeah. It's, that, is, that is certainly one end. And like we've talked about the, the goal review system ad nauseum on the podcast pretty much over the last year and a bit. It's been our villain at least once or twice a month just because there are so many instances where it is clearly clearly and utterly wrong and they keep getting it clearly clearly and utterly wrong and they just somehow contrive every week to just do something absolutely bizarre there was instances earlier this year i can't remember the match that sydney played in but sydney got absolutely dotted by one of the reviews and we ended up losing the match um was, was oh that the yeah North that, Melbourne that, match? That, that was an isaac heaney goal the North Melbourne match wasn't oh, it? it could have been i 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. At, at um, yep. Yeah. And, and Isaac Heaney kicked, kicked that goal, and he knew it was a goal. And yeah, yeah and he got, but they got. They overturned it after the play had restarted. It went back to the middle. The ball yes. went up. Play had started. They stopped it and called it back. I, I, that, yeah. And I, I don't know what they're doing there. That is like clearly interrupting and interfering with a the player. They've made a ruling and the ruling is done. And I think that's why Steve Hocken came out and said at the time, do not do that again. But they shouldn't even have the power to do that in the first place. I just think there's there's issues with mm. the way that the game's been governed, such as they're just not considering these um, circumstances. They're going, oh, well, I mean, we'll just review it. Okay, what happens then? Oh, I don't know. Whoa. So we just get yeah. these mid-season, uh, I guess, situations where it just becomes absolutely bizarre and confusing to even the most um, passionate supporter or even the most, I guess, uh, objective supporter or just follower or watcher that people just get confused because there's no consistency and consistency is what upsets people. If it's consistently bad but it's consistent, then okay, you can cop it. But if it's just random, if it's a random decision every single time, it just infuriates and upsets people. That's what drives people away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And uh, so that was my villain, the AFL review system. So who's yours Oh, look, um, I had to change mine this afternoon, actually, because the uh, Twitter feed exploded. Now, for any of those who might have watched the, uh, the Western Derby or Derby, whichever state you're in, it's pronounced differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Andrew Gaff had a bit of a uh, brain implosion. I'm trying to remember the name of the Melbourne player, mm. uh, Tom Buck. He... Oh, uh, uh, yes, yeah, Tom he Buck. He had a yes. bit, of a, a, bit mm-hmm. of a buggy. Um, now, the mm. send-off rule has been discussed oh, quite a lot in the last three years, and there's been a lot of support for it, but the AFL will not introduce it the send-off rule if there was any instance for a send-off rule today had to be it when andrew gaff just decked uh i think it was uh i'm not sure it's angus brayshaw but the brayshaw from Fremantle, he decked him off the play he's gone to hospital with a suspected broken jaw that was the last update i saw about an hour ago uh just dropped him like a sack of spuds and he's out for the game and then obviously the players started remonstrating on andrew gaff uh, we had the individual Peter Ryan, who now writes for The Age, he used to write for the AFL. He came out and said, oh, he feels sorry for, for Gaff for copying it. And I think his Twitter timeline exploded because about four minutes later, he sent out another Twitter saying, I'm not defending the bloke. I just kind of feel sorry for him getting attacked like that. So it was a um, it was a pretty, pretty mm. low act. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, just jump on Twitter. It's on Twitter. Uh, and he's definitely going to get six plus weeks. There is no question about it. He probably won't play again this season, Gaff. Wow. Um, well, I, my only comment with that is, and um, obviously, uh, you know, good decision for a villain because we just don't like anybody who um, really who lays into another player and causes serious injury. And let's face it, if you've got a suspected broken jaw, that is really bad. I, I'm very surprised that it's Andrew Gaff. He just definitely does not have a um, yeah same. Uh, uh, a, a bad rap sheet in in that in that regard, but sometimes these pressurised games, the, 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 these matches where um, you know it, it's a local local derby, derby, however you call it, whichever <laughs> yep. state you're from, um, it's a local derby, so there's a, there's a bit more heat in it than normal. But um, uh, 
you know, in this day and age, um, there is absolutely no excuse for thuggery on a football field. I'm sorry, but, you know, some of the acts of the past are, are just, you can't get away with them anymore. Yep. And I'm, I'm constantly being surprised when these kinds of things happen again because it, it just seems to be... Um, how do they think they can get away with it? I mean, I'm still sort of getting used to the fact that um, our friend from GWS, the forward, uh, Jeremy yeah. Cameron, who came back and played his first game back today, um, I'm still trying to, you know, get past the fact that he, I think he got five matches. I thought he deserved yeah. eight. Um, and so Gaff, Gaff looks like he's set for a long stint on the sidelines and, and that's to the detriment of his teammates. Yeah, it is. It really is. You know, Look, we've got to go back to Barry Hall. I mean, we have Barry Hall doing this and he was... I'm trying to think other oh, players. Yeah. Oh, in my time of following the Swans, I really can't remember anyone else other than Barry Hall who ever went to Biff. But to compare strikes, you got to go um, Barry Hall's strike on Brent Staker is basically equivalent to what Andrew Gaff has done. The player, blind to it, had mm. no time to defend themselves. They were completely flat-footed uh, and both completely knocked out of the game. So, yeah, it looked... Gaff is yeah. in the world of hurt from this one. Mm, sounds like he deserves it. So, uh, good good villain. Yes. Mm. Now, weekend review time. So, no more Andrew Gaff. All about the Swans from here on in, Heather. So, some quick stats from the match, which is uh, kind of the Sydney Swans, Jekyll and Hyde from quarter to quarter. We trailed uh, for the first and second quarter, and then we turned around big time in the third quarter and actually took a three-goal lead. And then, just like since the bye, maybe I'd say even since the West Coast match in round 13, I believe it was, the Swans had another terrible last quarter. They barely troubled the scoreboard, and Collingwood almost ran over the top. Now, Brody Grundy, he was, if I was given out best on grounds, he was, in my opinion, the clear best on ground so far ahead of anyone else, even including Taylor Adams. Uh, the Swans got on top of the third quarter when I think Brodie Grundy actually spent a bit of time off and Sinclair started getting a game, but Brodie Grundy, fourth quarter, was top top shelf. He just destroyed the game. Uh, but uh, Franklin, of course, his back must nearly be broken carrying the Swans, but another six goals at one point. It was him and, for some reason, some people on some of the Sydney Swans groups are giving Jordan Dawson a bit of a copping. I don't know why, because at one point they were our only goal scorers with our first six goals. So, Heather, um, <laughs> what do you make of all that? Uh, well, what I would make of it is, and this is a general commentary um, on the Swans, I think, is that a lot of us supporters, I, I think, we don't, we're not there in there in the um, the engine room of the decision making. But it's interesting when you watch it from the sidelines or from the on, from the comfort of your lounge room at the at the decisions that are made to go round the ground and backwards and sideways and up the sides and what have you. And I, I know that I've found it very frustrating in recent times that has, there has been a distinct reluctance to run it through the middle. There's been, um, seems to me, a lack of confidence in doing that. So it actually doesn't surprise me that the fourth quarters have become a bit of a problem because at the end of the day, if you're lacking a bit of confidence and you're doing this whole backwards, sideways chip it round and hope for the best kind of play 
and then you try to defend a lead in the fourth quarter, that's what's going to yeah. happen. So, you know, the, the, the third quarter, obviously, I, I, I thought the Swans did well in the first quarter because they were clearly intent. There was intent. And, and they had a very good third quarter. But <clears throat> the fourth quarter was a little bit frustrating because their first the first thing they do is to revert to this sort of defensive mindset of you know chipping it round and going backwards and going sideways and 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 really not, not taking the game yeah. on and uh, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming that they're receiving some coaching instruction here but I think it's a mindset that's obviously become you know entrenched and I, I'm hoping that they can sort of bust out of it soon because, um, yeah, it, it, it's actually just frustrating to watch. Yeah, it really is. And when you actually look at some of the stats, some of them are uh, mind-boggling just how much they were in favour for Collingwood. They had 31 more contested possessions. They actually dominated that stat throughout the night. Uh, Taylor Adams, his first mm. quarter was right up there with amongst the best you'll ever see. I think he had seven tackles, seven possessions, and about four clearances in the first quarter alone. He was everywhere. Everything they did that was good, he was involved in it. Uh, they trailed a points um, for inside 50s. Uh, they eventually got on top because they had a massive differential in the final quarter. At one point, they had 15 to 4 inside 50s. So they actually trailed a bit, but they got back on top. And they had the time in the forward half in the last quarter at 80%. That's how much they absolutely dominated territory and possession. But they just couldn't hit the scoreboard. Um, as far as goals are concerned, they kicked, what, three goals, five to the Swans, who kicked two goals, one. So, yeah, we got lucky. As a, as a great escape, and we got lucky. Yep, uh, yep, I'd agree with that. And look, you do have to make your own luck. And, you know, I think it, it could actually be argued, if you think back to, God forbid, uh, Alex Johnson's last game, uh, the 2012 Grand Final, you know, we got a bit lucky in some respects because Hawthorne had some opportunities to win yeah. that game, but they could not nail the shots that counted. So, the, the, and that is that is the essence of our game because we have the six points for a, a goal and a point for, you know, missing. Um, you know, it's making the shots that that count. It's it's nailing those, and we nailed the ones that we needed to nail. But getting back to your point in terms of the. Um, the goal kickers, uh, the, the main thing for me that stood out, apart from that sort of frustrating oh, negative mindset and the, I guess the, the lacking in, in inspiration and, um, and confidence mindset, the thing that struck me from the game last night was really the fact that uh, when, you, when, when Lance Franklin is kicking six out of your 11 goals in total, this is not good. Yeah. It's not good for many reasons, but mainly because you just can't rely on on your key forward week in and week out. And you know, it was clear from the from the start that Franklin w was on song. Um, you know, because he, he he had his hands on the ball early and he kicked a very good goal early. You know, and you could see that he was going to have a good night. And and clearly, the players of all you know his teammates have all. Um, noticed that and gone, ooh, we better kick it to Franklin because he's clearly <laughs> going to have a night but out. But finally, some of those kicks were and actually so to his he, advantage as well. They weren't just dump kicks on his head. They were good, smart kicks. Oh, sure, sure, uh, 100%. Um, he, he, he's had six goals for, so he's had 10 shots for goal. Um, so clearly he was just having having a night out. But this is something that's unsustainable. And I'm 
I'm certain that you know everybody knows that. And the stats sort of weigh up, uh, they sort of bear out the fact that um, uh, Collingwood had more opportunities to win, but they, they couldn't do it. So, all, I mean, all power to the Swans. I think they defended very, very well. Um, I think you'll find, I haven't actually added up those stats, but I think you'll find that the um, our back six total possessions were probably significantly yeah. higher than... Yeah, they were. Front six. They actually had a look at the stats um, at half time where the three major ball winners, or at least the four major ball winners for the Swans, are all defenders. It was um, Dane Rampey, Jake Lloyd, um, Nick Smith, maybe, and Alia Alia were like the top four ball winners for the Swans, which was absolutely stunning, really, in my opinion. Yep, yep, it was, and I think that that was born. That was just born out. You could see in general play that there was lots of chipping around in the back and and what have you. And and I know I think the defenders did very very well, but it does concern me that forward line. Um, my observation would be, and you only had to look at have a look at the what they were doing on the field. But we talked about McCartan earlier. You know, he he basically had had the one kick for the game, and and yeah. that that was it for him. But really, um, unfortunately. Uh, Haywood and Florent, both of them looked dead tired. Yeah. They looked tired young men. Yeah, they are. And they had no impact on well, the game. Haywood's played every match, and Florence played almost every match. Um, and I know we're going to chat about some of these players in a moment, but when you look at the forward line, uh, the forward line included Ronk, Florent, McCartan, Haywood. They literally had almost no impact. He and he started forward, and he had a pretty down match until he went into the midfield. He really had no impact whatsoever as a forward. And in the end, he really didn't have much of an impact at all. So our, our only forward mm-hmm. for the umpteenth time this season was, lo and behold, Lance Franklin. And this time, he could move. He wasn't sort of hobbled by injury. And if it wasn't for him missing a couple of you know, gimmies in the third quarter, that margin, instead of 18 points, could have been 30 points. And the Swans could have been, you know, out of touch at the start of the fourth quarter when they kicked Lance when Lance kicked his um, sixth goal of the game. So, if if there's ifs and buts and whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and you know, without wanting to be uh, overly negative, I think it is. I mean, all power to the Swans for getting home in that match. That was a top effort. You could not doubt the intent, and you couldn't doubt their enthusiasm for the contest and, you know, they, they stood up um, in tough circumstances and, and and good on them because, let's face it, four out of five uh, losses in the you know previous games is not good and yeah. very much a team very much on the slide and being written off left, right and centre. So, you know, that, that in itself was a fantastic positive and as somebody who was there at the game, the atmosphere was absolutely electric because of, I think because of the Alex Johnson yep. factor, and it was uh, it was fantastic to scream for my team. And if I've got a bit of a scratchy voice at the moment, <laughs> I'm happy to have it because it, w- it it was it was great it was great way to finish. Great. Yeah. Now look, Lance Franklin was uh, Sydney's best player, I would say, but I'd say Leah was probably the Swans' second best, or maybe even the best, or certainly most consistent. His form since he came in the side has been unbelievable. I know we've talked about him quite a few times before, Heather. Uh, I believe you know my position on Aaliyah, that I was very, um, I guess, oh, not disappointed, depressed maybe. Um, 
but not quite sure why he wasn't getting games because his form in 2016 showed that he was elite pretty much. Uh, and then he's come back in. He's just been elite. Since he came back in, he's been one of the best defenders in the, in the league. But he had seven intercept possessions. He also had six one percenters. He took 12 marks. That is just phenomenal for a defender. He was absolutely massive, and when the game was right on the line, he was up there doing his absolute best. And he also finished with 350 metres gain, so, you, you know, it's nothing to sneeze at, and four rebound 50s. So, again, another subline performance by Leah. Yeah, he's been he's been great since he's been um, you know made his return into the into the team. He has been an absolute shining light. He's been even in the losses, he's been really the most the, the good news story out of the whole thing. Everyone was delighted to see that he had his contract renewed. Um, so yeah, all all power to Aaliyah. He he's been great. Now my understanding is, and um, you know. My understanding is that uh, one of the issues with his delayed return to the team uh, was his um, was his fitness. I, you know, don't know that absolutely one hundred percent, but certainly um, he seems to have plenty in the tank now. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I would expect I would ex- I would expect him to continue on and play out the rest of the season whenever that may be the end of it, but I would expect him to uh, play out the rest of the season in, in very good form. And based on what I've seen so far this year, and I would say that uh, we've got some exciting times ahead in 2019 because um, I think it's fair to say, and I know you would have discussed this the other night um, on the preview show, um, Justin, but I think it's fair to say that it's, well, highly unlikely if not to say um, a you know that we we won't be seeing Heath Grundy next season, yeah. so um, Aaliyah will, will be playing a significant role in that backline next year, and and that's a real positive for um, Swans fans. Yeah, and also the same for um, Alex Johnson. There's every chance that Alex Johnson will pretty much stay in the side, and it'll leave players like Harry Marsh and Lewis Malikan pretty much on the sidelines. They they won't be able to force their way back in if if um, players like Aaliyah, Rampy, and Johnson can. Not only kept their form, but improve it and build upon it. I mean, Grundy's even going to find a cha- you know a challenge to get back into the side if they're at good form. So it's interesting, um, and and we certainly did discuss a bit of that um, on the uh, preview podcast. But another player that I'd like to talk to you about, I've been a I used to be a bit of a fan of his. I've been a bit cold on him. Uh, he had a bit of a two half performance, uh, and that is Nick Newman. So I'd like to get your thoughts on Nick Newman's performance and kind of like where he's at and where he's going uh, before I give you mine, Heather. So if you could, please. Hmm. Yeah, Nick Newman. Well, I'm a bit of a fan too. Um, I have been a bit disappointed this season. Some of the opportunities that he's had, he blew, he's blown them. But the, the thing that's actually disappointed me the most about Nick Newman is that I've seen the head drop and I, I, I hate seeing that. Um, I've seen the head go down when you know in adverse conditions and when he hasn't been having a great game and yeah, I, I, it, to me that just sends a very negative mindset. Um, I think the last two games that he's played, he's uh, very much improved. I thought he was pretty good last night. Um, you know, he had he had 12 marks and he was in plenty of action. He was supporting his teammates. He was knuckling down and you know doing some of the Getting down and dirty, I think is the expression. Yep. Um, 
so actually last night I was pretty happy with the way he played. I thought he was a, a good team man and, and like I said, in general I feel like that defensive unit uh, worked well together last night. So that was last night. Yeah. In terms of his future, there's massive, massive question marks because uh, he's been linked um, with a departure from the club. That, that, that mail has been very strong. Um, I think he's got a lot of upside. I really, really do. And I'd love to see him have the confidence to sort of be able to take the game on a bit more and, you know, run up the middle, out of the defensive line a bit more. Um, but, yeah, I, the way I see it is that I, I don't think that we'll retain that player. I feel like he is going to move on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think he can be a very good player. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because he's not really young and he's not really old. He's he's 25 years old and starting next season he's going to be 26. And if you say that there's another, I don't know, six or seven games for him to play this year, he'll just break over 30 games if he keeps in the side. So he's relatively inexperienced for someone of his age. I mean, Geelong debuted a player, I think it was 29 or 30 on the weekend. So, you know, it's not an ageist thing. He can be 40 years old and make a debut if a team really wanted to hand it to you. But I think he's got that. That sort of thing isn't really on his side. And you're right, that head drop, it isn't a good look. I kind of felt last night like his first half was really, really good, and his second half really started to slide when the pressure was on. There was moments in the fourth quarter when the pressure was just really, really on, really hard. He got tackled with the ball a couple of times, and then he just couldn't make a decision. He's he just had that one one step too slow kind of reaction. So we take one or two steps before trying to get rid of it. Um, there was that one when he was tackled in front of goals with the ball and he kicked his ankle when he got tackled. Um, it just mm. seems to be at times too slow for AFL. I don't know if you see that when you watch him live or on TV, some of his disposals, when he's got time and space, it's really, really good. But as soon as the pressure's on, it's unreliable at best. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Yep, totally. Now, I am not sure about his future. Um, definitely, he's been linked away. I'm not really, um, I guess, sold either way. If he stays, he stays. He'll be another role player for us, a depth player if he goes. Best of luck to him. It gives us more opportunity to get Nick Blakey and some of the other players coming through the draft and also from the academy. So there is... Um, one more player that I would like to talk to you about, Heather, because I've already talked about a couple of the other ones. And that is former skipper Kieran Jack. So on the preview podcast that I did with Josh, I talked about the role that Jack and Hannabury had had and how, and I'll link that to our midfield boys. So I'm not sure if you've heard that or if some of the listeners have heard it, but I basically said that I think that the Swans midfield and the transition from defense through midfield to the forward half has suffered without Jack and Hanbury because we don't have players who are able to go contest to contest and they're able to play that link role between defense and attack. We just don't have that at the moment with Hanbury and Jack outside. Now, with Jack coming back into the side, uh, he certainly had a role at times. Uh, he didn't have a big game. He only finished with nine disposals, which is actually pretty poor. But he did have a pretty good second half when the Swans... Well, sorry, second quarter, rather, when the Swans game was kind of, again, being crucified and he was doing his best to try and get back into the game. Heather, do you think he has a place in the side next year? Uh, no. Mm. 
and I'm very, very sad to say that because, you know, he, he's, he's a former captain. He's been a crucial player um, for the Sydney Swans for a lot of years. He's a player that we hold dear to our hearts because he bucked, he bucked the family trend um, and, and left the game of rugby league to become uh, an AFL player. And he's been just a magnificent servant for the club. Nobody can doubt his passion and his love and and the respect. He, he carries the respect of all of his teammates. Um, but unfortunately, uh, time is catching up with him. He's not making good decisions all the time anymore. Um, he dithers around a bit with the ball. He's getting caught with it too often. Um, he tried his heart out last night. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think he... You know, from a leadership perspective, he still wants to be able to lead and to inspire his teammates, but he's just not able yeah. to get it done as often as what he used to be able to. And I, I mean, I wouldn't like to guess at what his numbers are in comparison with his best years, but I would oh, say he could be down fifty percent more. They um, yeah, and, yeah, and in common and in. And in combination with, with the injuries and everything, I feel like he won't be there next year. I, I honestly feel like he won't be there next year. And, yeah, that's the way I see it. Do you it. think he'll stay in the side at all this year? Do you think he might even play next week or the week after? Um, I, f I feel like he will continue playing for the rest of the season. Um, I just can't see him there next year. I just can't see him there next year. Yeah, yeah I... I would agree. With I think, that. to be honest with you, I think the Swans have. I think the Swans have got too many injuries at the moment for him not to be in the team. Yeah. To be frank, they, they need that um, senior so leadership as well. They really need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They re they really they really do. So I th I think he'll stay in the team for the remainder of the year, assuming he's not injured. Um, and that's I think that's where it ends. Yeah. Look, some of our midfield numbers last night again, well down on where they should be. I'll just go through some of those midfield players. So uh, Florent played midfield uh, and forward. He finished with 12. Kieran Jack finished with 9. Papley finished with 12. Uh, Ronk, I don't know why they're playing him in the positions they're playing him in, but he only finished with 10. He had another pretty poor night. Dan Robertson finished with 14. Uh, Josh Kennedy finished with 21. It was actually one of his worst uh, returns uh, as far as uh, impact on the match goes for quite some time. Isaac Heaney finished with 14, and he literally had no impact for three and a half quarters. Uh, Cunningham, who played defense and wing, finished 18. Um, McVeigh was really good. He finished with 26. Sinclair finished with 19 and 16 hitouts, but got absolutely obliterated by Brody Grundy, who was unbelievable. He was unfathomably good. Uh, just having a quick look at the stats, Grundy... Finished with 24, 17 contested. Uh, he had hitouts, 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 57 hitouts. And I think at one point, I think he finished with 19 hitouts to advantage. So he had more hitouts to advantage than Sinclair had yeah. hitouts for the match. Uh, Brody Grundy was enormous last night. Um, and look, enormous in every way because he's got, he's got a big backside <laughs> and a big body. <laughs> And my God, he—he he, that man is on fire. How is he not the All Australian ruckman? 
I know Channel Seven and Fox. Oh, because Maxi, big Max, big Maxi Gorn, big, big Maxi Gorn have had a big. But season. Max Gorn <laughs> just doesn't have the impact on games that Grundy has. When Grundy wasn't out there, or at least he was on the bench in the third quarter, you could see how much of an impact he had on the team. He's off the ground; the team automatically stops winning the ball. They stop getting the ball. The Swans get on top. When he's back out there. Bang, they're on top, they're winning the ball out of the middle, Taylor Adams is killing it, Pendlebury starts getting into the match, the Swans are on the back foot, and they almost run away with a win, on the back of Grundy. So when the Brownlow votes come, it's going to be 3-2 Collingwood, guaranteed, 100%. Yep. Now, Brodie Grundy was absolutely magnificent last night, and so, like he was tapping the ball behind him, he kicked, he, he, he roved oh. his own ball and kicked a goal that at was one galling. point. He, in fact, another go- <laughs> yeah, and, a, and another one just sort of ro- another one went through for a point, but he could have had two goals in exactly the same yeah. way. He he was absolutely tremendous and he abs- he completely lowered Sinclair's colours. Um, and look, you know, <clears throat> we don't like the pies here on the Swans no, podcast, but um, Justin, but I have to say I was in awe of Brodie Grundy last night. He was definitely best on ground. Yeah, look, definitely. we actually talked about him a little bit on the um, preview podcast where I said, whatever happens, we can't let him get off the chain. And what happened? He got off the chain. And he killed us. He, he almost single-handedly killed us. It was that goal that he got against Sinclair in the Ruck when probably the 20th short throw-in of the match came in and he just swatted Sinclair aside like he was, wasn't was even there. It was it was as if he was rucking against Luke Parker. Just see you later. Goal. Yeah. No, he, 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 he was great. He was great. Look, uh, I think this is the Swans cast, not the uh, Pies cast, so uh, we'll continue on from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Heather, dude. just to wrap things up, I said earlier in the, uh, in the role, Three rounds to go, three wins. That's the equation. Now, we have some pretty difficult games coming up, one could say. Uh, we've got GWS, which is going to be an absolutely massive game. We also finish out the season against Hawthorne, and that is going to be a tough one at the SCG. We actually don't have a good record against them at the SCG. But next week... Back in Melbourne, facing Melbourne, of all teams. 3.20 on Sunday. It is the worst time slot imaginable, too. So, tough game. Melbourne coming off the back of a massive win this weekend, too. Heather, do you like our chances? Uh, yes. Hmm. <sighs> Brody Grundy versus Callum Sinclair. Next week, he's got Big Max Gorn, <laughs> one of the current Brownlow favorites, medal favourites, yeah. if you can believe that. Um, <clears throat> uh, no, I don't like their chances, but, he, but, but, he, but here's the deal, Swans fans, here's the deal. Sydney Swans need to win at least, they, they need to win 14 games because yeah. their, their percentage is so poor. We, we're currently on 12 need 14 so we have to win minimum two out of three yes so actually next week is one that we really need to target i think because the following week the game versus gws is at spotless and then we've got hawthorne at the scg well we we actually play all the teams we've got to target melbourne (laughs) well the thing is melbourne and sydney are both on 48 points so if we can beat them we go above them 
no yes. matter what their percentages, and their percentages are a lot better than ours, way better than ours. Uh, they've actually got the um, second best percentage mm. in the top eight, the second best in the competition. But that's not going to matter for anything if we beat them. And then we play GWS, which is two points above Melbourne, but I'm just having a very, very quick look at next round. GWS host Adelaide. You never know. You never know. That could uh, that could quickly become something. And Hawthorne also hosts Geelong. So you never know. I mean, we could actually be back in the top four by the end of next round, especially with Port Adelaide hosting the Eagles and Collingwood hosting the Lions. And the Lions almost pulled off one of the great wins of the season. Well, I think what's been very obvious this season is that um, while it appears that Richmond is, you know, pretty much sitting alone there up, 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 up the top and, and looking pretty good for another premiership, I think what is very obvious is that, that there is a lot of parity with a lot of the other teams. So a lot is going to change over the next three weeks. And I feel like that it's very, very even from 10th up right through to 2nd yep. position. So I think that, you know, Swans fans don't give up hope. Um, let's just sort of see what, what's going to happen from here. But I think it's going to be a lot about recovery. Um, we don't know in relation to Franklin, is he going to be able to back up and play well next week? Um, you know, there's quite a few X factors there, but I don't think it's time to give up hope. I think we just got to, you know, keep the face um, and uh, keep our fingers crossed and really, you know, just look forward to... We have had a pretty good... Um, time down in Melbourne in recent times in terms of good performances so uh, we just have to hope potentially that Big Maxi Gorn, oh, I don't know, what do you reckon a big <laughs> dose of gastro or something in the coming week, hey, if just please something, anything. Bit, bit of E. coli <laughs> yeah, no worries, just let me know what hot, what uh, restaurant eats it <laughs> <laughs> slip some uh, not, not so fresh <laughs> steak in there <laughs> oh, oh last dear, time, dear. we love you sinkers I know, we do love but you. last time he played Gorn he got absolutely bathed he uh received a football lesson last time they played so yeah look um it's it's really interesting most of the top eight teams actually play each other or the top 10 or 11 teams they all play each other before the end of the season so it, it looks like 14 wins could be enough to scrape into fourth place so destiny is in this one's hands as far as things go Oh, 100%. And uh, I know, like you, Justin, I will be uh, having one red eye and one white eye all week <laughs> and we'll be, thinking positive, we'll be thinking positive thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the funny thing is we were in top four one round ago. If results actually go our way and we do beat Melbourne, we could actually be back in the top four. Now, that would just be... It's that weird, would be isn't it? It's freaky and weird but beyond all measure. So, look, it's the weirdest season... I've known um, we're still in with a chance. We're top, we're top eight, and we should finish at least in the top eight. So, yeah, you never say never. I agree, but um, yeah, geez, just don't get your hopes up. <laughs> no, don't don't get your hope hopes up. And let's hope, let's hope that if Lance Franklin can produce six goals for having trained for twenty minutes in a week, what would happen? Do you think if he could train say thirty minutes? What do you reckon? I think he only trained twenty minutes a season. So, yes, I agree. It, it was some ridiculous stat that they're putting out. I think it's like 20 minutes. He's only trained for 20 minutes in the season. So, yeah, that would be great if he if he just comes out and he can train again because uh, it means he's... Uh, I'm sure, look, 
I feel like there's a bit of hyperbole yeah. there, but um, look, we're we're all we're all fans of uh, of Big Lance, so look, let's hope he can back up and, you know, they give him uh, give him what he all the rest that he needs, and he can come out and have another blinder next well, week. Well, another thing that popped up as a stat, which goes to show just how ridiculous this season is, came at the uh, towards the end of the match. He's only five behind. I think he's only five behind in the um, Coleman. Ah, uh, yep, four. Four. Even. Four. I think. I think big Big Ben Brown from North Melbourne. I think four. he's on fifty-four he's goals, four and uh, Lance like, Frank Franklin is on fifty. So, yeah. That's in, remarkable in itself. It's a very low, um, low total uh, for a two common, you know, first and second place getters at this point of the season. Yep, and given the fact that he actually has a good record against two of the three teams he's coming up against, and they don't really have really good defenders for him, if the Swans can turn things around, he might even turn things around himself. So, yeah, another come from behind Coleman medal win would be pretty good end of the season for uh, Franklin, I think. Yep, agree. Totally agree. And anyway, Heather, thank you so much for coming on for this week's episode. It's been a pleasure having you on once again. An absolute um, pleasure to be on and a pleasure to be at the SCG last night. It was it was really great fun. Oh, no doubt. And hopefully the MCG will be rocking through 20 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. And the Swans, if they can get if they can get it done, you just never know. Well, that's it for tonight's episode. As always, guys, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the tag The Swans Blog. You can get in contact with us during the week with the hashtags SwansCast and for our Thursday preview show, SwansCast Extra. Until next time, go Swans!